Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Hey guys, it's so great to be sharing with you again this afternoon. Um, This afternoon, today marks a monumentous occasion for Central Church. For probably the last three or so years, we have been approaching our preaching style from a very specific angle where we take one piece of scripture and throughout the three weeks we have church in the building, we look at it from three different angles, usually quite different angles, with the idea that we have helped us to think outside of our own context, outside of our box and our own experience and see how scripture can come alive for other people from different cultures, different countries, um, different walks of life to us as well. Well... We have now finished that. That was just going to be an experiment for a small amount of time. Ended up going for about three years. I think COVID helped drag that out as well. Tonight, we are starting a new approach to scripture. And again, just like before, this is just going to be an experiment to see if it works. It may or may not. But we are going to be actually following the lectionary readings um, that a lot of other, perhaps more traditional churches would do. So if you're not familiar, the lectionary is a three-year cycle of scripture, and so every week you will read through uh, four different uh, passages of scripture, and then by the end of the three years, you would have read through the entire Bible. And so the lectionary calendar starts with Advent today, and so this is when we thought would mark off this new approach to scripture for Central Church. If it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, blame Caro; it's her idea. <laughs> um, but. It always starts at Advent, at this, the first Sunday in December. And so this season of Advent, it comes to us with this feeling of anticipation as we look forward to Christmas, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ into our world 2,000 years ago. And so we hold it with this sense of nervous excitement and nervous energy and We look forward to Christmas coming this year as we did 2,000 years ago as well. And so this season, this first uh, message in the lectionary calendar is about waiting as we wait for the coming of Christ. And so I just want to start um, this message with a story about waiting. And and look, truth be told, I'm kind of shoehorning this story into this message because I just want to tell this story because I think it's hilarious. But I'm going to try and link it up with the whole idea of waiting anyway. So if you don't know, I'm a chaplain also at two different high schools. And one of the high schools I'm working at, um, the year 10, the entirety of the year 10 cohort went up to the Great Barrier Reef for a trip, not just an overnight trip, uh, for the entire week. And so they took a coach up and on the way up and the way down, they were staying at different high schools and just sleeping in the school halls to save a bit of money on accommodation. And it was all going great, saw lots of photos of turtles and things like that around the Great Barrier Reef. It was fantastic. However, just last Thursday on the way back, I think around the Newcastle Way, they were staying in a, uh, in a high school hall there and they were eating burgers for dinner. And 65 students and teachers all got food poisoning at the same time. Can you imagine how horrendous that would be? Now, this is where the waiting bit comes into it. In that hall, there are is only one cubicle for the boys and one cubicle for the girls. Can you imagine how horrendous that would be? Can you imagine that wait when you're feeling like you're about to explode out of both ends and having to wait because there's a line in front of you? It would have been a disaster. 
I'm, I had the opportunity to go on that trip. I'm so glad I didn't. <laughs> I got to stay home and eat healthy burgers. So, waiting. <laughs> we wait for so many different things, don't we? And depending on who we are and our frame of mind at the time, we wait in very different ways, even if we're actually just waiting for the same thing. And so there's a theologian, Martin B. Copenhagen, and he has this analogy where he talks about how we wait for the bus, or people, how people might wait for the bus. And even though we're all waiting for the same bus, we might wait with very different reasons, very different attitudes, and very different emotions about how we wait as well. So just using this little picture as an analogy up here, and this is all just hypothetical, but let's just have a look at some of these several people and, and give them a bit of a story about why they are waiting and look at the emotions that are behind it. So this first guy here with all the bags, let's just say that his wife has just given birth at the hospital. Sorry, I should say, this is the bus that takes them to the local hospital as well. So they're all waiting for the hospital bus. This guy's wife has just given birth and he's taking some clothes into the hospital. And so you can imagine what kind of feelings would he be feeling? He'd be feeling a sense of probably excitement, of anticipation to meet his new uh, child for the very first time. He's probably feeling a bit nervous, a bit anxious, a bit maybe overwhelmed because he knows that life is forever going to change for him, just as kids do to us. Uh, this next person who's dressed quite well, let's say he's going for a job interview. But this is the fifth job interview he's going for in just two weeks. And so perhaps he's feeling a bit hopeful. He's probably a bit nervous, but there's also probably a sense of fatigue there as he's done this time and time again and had knockback after knockback. And so maybe he's feeling a bit apathetic about the whole thing. So he would be waiting with a very different stance than that first guy. Uh, the next person is going to the hospital to say goodbye to an old friend, presumably for the very last time. You can imagine the sadness weighing on this person's heart. You can imagine the heaviness weighing on their heart. Maybe even a reluctance to actually go to the hospital because saying goodbye would actually feel so final. This next lady, and I love this lady, she is going to the hospital to resign and tell her boss just what she really thinks of him. <laughs> and so you can imagine how she's feeling. She's probably had all this pent-up frustration and anger, and now she's finally just going to let it all, all out. And so she, there's a sense of perhaps confidence, a sense of freedom, but there might also be some um, hesitation, maybe some fear as well. What's going to happen next? This next guy, he's just had a huge fight with his partner, and he doesn't care. He's just gone to the closest bus stop. He's just jumping on whatever bus comes next. And so he's indifferent. He doesn't really care where he's going. It's not about the destination for this guy. It's about escaping where he has been. And so he's also probably holding some pain, some anger, some sadness there as well. And finally, we have this lady who's looking at the bus timetable, and she's just missed her bus. She saw it drive off as she was running towards the bus. Has anyone ever done that? It's so frustrating. I've done that with trains when I was working in Sydney for a while. It's so frustrating. And she's just trying to work out what is the next bus that's going to get her home. And so this is a very different sense of waiting again to the others. This is a passive sense of waiting. There's also a frustration here that she should be further along her journey than where, where she currently is. And so you can imagine the feelings that she's holding onto that as well. And so as you can see, the way we wait, the stance that we wait on, varies from person to person, from time to time. But this is something I think as Christians we need to come to terms with because to be a follower of God, 
A lot of that, not just for us, but all through Scripture, you can see, is spent waiting. We wait on God a lot. If you look all the way back to the, uh, the Israelites when they're in slavery in Egypt, they waited in slavery for 400 years for Moses to finally show up and lead them out. One of the lectionary readings we have uh, from tonight's message is from Isaiah, and this passage is when the Israelites were again in slavery, this time in Babylon, and they waited 70 years in slavery to then go back to the promise, uh, to their homeland again. And then, once they returned, they waited another 400 years to rebuild the kingdom of God, and then, of course, today, especially over this Advent period, we wait for Christ. And we wait for the second coming of Christ as well, whatever that might look like. We don't exactly know. And so the question we need to ask isn't will we have to wait or how long do we have to wait? But I think a better question for us to be asking is how do we wait on God well? And when we tackle complex issues, I think it's really important for us to be asking good questions. Because if we ask bad questions, we can only reach bad conclusions. We need to raise ourselves to better questioning. And if we ask better questions, we can come to better conclusions. And so I think how do we wait well on God is a better question than how long do I have to wait? Because who can answer that? And that will leads us to all, down all sorts of weird rabbit holes where people predict you know, the coming of Christ because they've seen certain signs or had certain dreams, but it's never happened so far as far as we know. And so a better question is how do we wait well? How do we be the patient people of God? And so as I was going through these four different lectionary readings uh, to prepare this message, I read them several times trying to understand what was it that was tying them together. And yes, they are all about waiting, but they are all from very different perspectives on waiting. And they all give us very different emotions on waiting as well. And so scripture is a lot of things. And a lot of scripture, in its essence, really, is God's slow revelation of himself to mankind and our struggle to grasp who God is and what he's saying, and build that relationship with him. And we often get it wrong. And so much of the human psyche, the human emotion, plays into our understanding and our relation with God. And so these pa passages that we're going to go through shortly, they are very human passages, I feel. They are very emotional passages. They are very hot and cold. They are moody. And they very much depend on the writer who was writing the scripture at the time and his or her state of mind at that time as well. And so what we are going to do, because some of these passages can be quite lengthy, I'm not just going to stand up here and read them out or get someone up here to read each one of the passages out like you know you might have seen in, in other churches. I want to do something a little bit more interactive. I've printed out some of these passages. And I'm just going to divide us up into just going to quarter the church. And I'm just going to give each group uh, a printout of the passage. And I want us to look at these passages and discuss these two following questions. So firstly, what are the themes, emotions, perspectives around waiting and watching that come from these passages? And secondly, what is helpful here and what is not helpful? And again, I think that's an important question to ask. That's a better question to be asked 
the asking because often we can say, well, what, what here is right and what's wrong? Or what is good or what's bad? That is too harsh. That's too black and white. Because when we look at scripture from perspectives, something can be helpful from one perspective but not helpful from another perspective. And so we're not cancelling any of scripture out, but we're just saying from the stance of waiting and watching, what is helpful and what's not helpful. So I'll come around if we can just go like, so we've got the back corner, the front corner, that back corner and this front corner here. We'll go for about five or so minutes, discuss these questions, then we'll come back and we'll just share our, uh, our thoughts together as a church as well. Okay, so let's start with the first reading. Who had Isaiah? That group there? Okay. Uh, would anyone like to share uh, thoughts, themes, perspectives, what's helpful and unhelpful? We can pass the mic around, yeah. Um, there was nothing unhelpful here because it's the Bible. So, um, oh, so you get to go to heaven now. That's right. No, it was really good because they're asking God to come down and um, make the earth tremble again like he used to. And, but then they said, um, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when you continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we, can we be saved? And sort of ask God to help us anyway, even though we keep doing the wrong thing. And, uh, yeah, one of the things I took from it is if you read that without Jesus, yeah, how then can we be saved? There's sort of no answer. Why would God help? Because we've, we knew what we were supposed to do and just didn't do it and kept not doing it. Whereas with Jesus, all of a sudden, it's really different. So it's kind of got that Advent feel way before Advent or whatever. Okay, so it's foreseeing the coming well, for us. In, in, a, in, a in, in a way, yeah. or really seeing the need, I guess, need. for Jesus, because there's how then can we be saved. Who else? Anyone else from the group? They've, all t they've turned their backs on me. I love in that passage, you know, that first part, um, that the mountains will tremble before you as, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and calls water. The there's, there's this like sense of like righteous saying, like God is coming. It's almost like, wait till your dad gets home. You're in so much trouble. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's like God is coming and he's going to rescue his people and he's just going to lay waste to everyone else. This was, the uh, for me, when I was reading it, part of the spirit that I was... Um, finding this in as well. But also there's a sense of self-deprivation and I think shame in, in this as well. Um, the next passage is Psalms. Who had the Psalms? Back there, yep. Okay, who would like to share? You'd love to share? Good work, Becca. <laughs> um, yeah, like most of the Psalms, this Psalm, um, yeah, coming from a place of, well, not most, but plenty of the Psalms, coming from a place of desperation and struggle, um, you know, just a really bad place. God, why are you angry against your with your people? And, but then it's also looking to God for restoration, waiting for God's face to shine, knowing that that's where salvation will come. Um, yeah, so it's quite an interesting mix of like, you know, venting frustration and 
at their experience of oppression as well as looking to God for hope and healing and restoration. Um, yeah, we thought, I think we said like the, the honesty with God is really helpful in times of, you know, oppression and waiting and fear and frustration. Um, yeah, I mean, whether I personally think that God, you know, causes, you know, punishment on people or like the suffering, like that's probably a different, I probably have a different perspective than the psalmist, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as you can see, this passage is very different to the previous one. It's, um, it's like, yeah, wanting, like Beck was saying, like God's love to shine down on, on his people. It's, um, I, think, I think there's some hope there as well. Um, but, and, and this is what the lectionary really does. It, when we can put these passages together, often we see scripture and we, and we are taught, well, I was taught through the Anglican Church from a young age, you know, this is the word of God. But looking, I think, at it from the, these perspectives, you can see the human fingerprints on this. You can see how people have been waiting for, on God from different points of view and different time, points of time, but they've had different approaches to it as well. There's just no one way to go ahead. So let's look at the next one, which is Corinthians. Who are Corinthians? Anyone want to share from this group? You can teamwork? Yeah, sure. Uh, we didn't find anything really unhelpful. Um, at, we were looking for something. Okay, what could be unhelpful? But um, we decided it was all pretty positive. The first half was about um, reassurance and warmth, building you know, rapport and, and, and saying this is great. And the second half talked about um, the positive things about having resources and being eager, being enthusiastic and staying firm. So not just passively waiting, not leaning against the bus stop, mm -hmm. but using all those resources to be active yeah. while you're waiting. Do we have any other? Yeah, felt like it was a tone of... Um like a leader, like just who had a real warmth of encouragement, but also wanting to rev them up a bit. Not so much admonish, but just remind them and a bit of a gentle kick up the bum sort of thing. And I think that that can feel uncomfortable. It can feel helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, but just the I love the bit at the end too, where he says he's called you into fellowship with his Son Jesus Christ, our Lord, and this. Yeah, no. Yeah, nice. Okay. Great, thanks guys. And so that leaves us with Mark, which will be this group. Here's this group. This is the words of Christ himself, so you better get it right. <laughs> well, I'll start by saying that we had some differences of opinion within our group, which was lovely because it reminded us that there are different ways to read the Bible and different things strike different people. Um, so this passage is one that I think a lot of us have been familiar with and maybe a little bit burnt by as um, um, young Christians. It talks about, you know, the Son of Man coming to gather the elect. And some of us have had that kind of experience of 
that almost seeming like a threat rather than something wonderful to, to see. Um, so we actually ended up focusing more on the end of the passage where they're told to keep watch, but they're also told um, each with their assigned task um, to, to watch. And so we were talking about the work that we had to do while we were waiting. Um, and that work it differs for the different people with their different jobs. It also differed with our ideas of what we even thought the work might be in our group. Um, but I think that was kind of maybe the main thing that we came up with, that it was an active waiting and an active watching. Brilliant. And I'll actually be talking a bit about that shortly as well. So, yeah, great. So thanks, guys. It, it's, I think it's so good to, I think, acknowledge that there's so much lived experience in this room. It's not just me up here having all the answers because I don't. But together, I think we are stronger by sharing our collective wisdom and knowledge and experiences than if it's just one person saying, this is how it is and no other answers there at all. And so again, this is what the lectionary, I think, allows us to do. Compare different parts of the Bible and look for Christ in the Bible, but also look for our own fingerprints as well. And so as you can see, there are so many different ways that we can be waiting. But it's goes even further than that because it's not just like, okay, so in this situation, this is how I'm going to wait. We don't usually just wait in a static stance. As we wait, whether it be for something of this world or, or if we, as we wait for Christ or as we wait for God, we can actually go through all different emotions and maybe touch on all these different types of waiting that we've already just spoken about. And so, for example, I want to use a story from my own experience, for example. Uh, a time when I was waiting on God. I'm thinking back about three years ago when I had um, quite a large career change. And for those that don't know, previously I spent 20 years working in hotel management. And three years ago, the COVID was just starting to come in. And things were changing and I started to feel the presence of God lead me away from this career I've just become so comfortable in. For like 20 years, that was more than half my life. And so when these thoughts started coming into my head, I remember sitting and waiting on God with these thoughts going through my head. And the initial thought, feeling, was, it was fear. It was like, there is absolutely no way I'm going to do that because I've got a family to look after, I've got bills to pay, I'm not going to resign from my job at the start of a pandemic, a global pandemic, and then, and then with no other job prospects to go to. That, that's, that's career suicide. Like, why would I even do that? And so I remember trying to push those thoughts away. But as I sat with God and I waited with God, I started getting the feeling that, yes, this is the right thing to do. This is God leading me out of this comfort zone that I've been in for such a long time. And I started to feel more confident in myself. I started to feel... Um, a sense of, you know, maybe sound arrogance, but calling in that as well. And then it started to take a bit of a turn. The more I then waited, the more I said, okay, yes, I'm going to actually do this, handing my resignation, I then started to feel self-righteous. I started to feel spiteful because, and angry towards my previous employer for actually putting me in the position where I actually would want to resign after all this time. And I felt self-righteous. I wanted them to fall on their face without me there. I wanted them to be on their knees, shaking their fists to the sky, saying, we should never have let Oren go. And I would feel so good about myself and 
just to know that they are struggling without me. And so I had this, this sense of this ego was, was feeding this, this feeling as well. And so I handed in my resignation. And I made, you know how we make those little deals with God? I told God, okay, we'll wait this amount of time before I even start entertaining the thought of looking for another job. And so then a few weeks into my unemployment, I started getting a bit nervous because still no job prospects were on the line. And I started feeling a bit scared. And I was thinking, okay, have I made a mistake? Have I, was I just imagining this? What am I going to do now? And so this fear turned into this sense of desperation. And so even though we had not yet got to that time that I agreed with God that, yes, I'll wait this time until I start applying for jobs, I started putting out applications, trying to find a job, something to hold on to, because it was so hard to sit in that space of just waiting and not knowing what was around the corner. And so I put out many applications, and then... I started getting knockback after knockback after knockback from all these job applications that, to be honest, I felt I was overqualified for, but I wasn't even making it to the interview process. And so this, this feeling of desperation started turning to this feeling of depression as like, what have I done? Have I just made a terrible, terrible mistake? But then finally, after the agreed amount of waiting time, a job came through. And it was better than any of the other ones that I was applying for at the time. It was better than, it was pretty much ticked all the boxes, even the boxes I didn't know need to be ticked. And I, and I had this sense of relief as I waited on God, knowing that he actually had come through for me. I remember feeling a sense of shame that I didn't wait better, that I was trying to take matters into my old, own hands. But now, you know, three years on, looking back in it, I, can, I, can, I had this feeling of being held because I've witnessed God's faithfulness to me even though I wasn't faithful to him in the same process as well. And so if you're anything like me, you struggle to sit and be still, struggle to sit and be idle and wait on God, struggle to be faithful. We want to take control in our own hands, don't we, when things don't seem so certain. And, and sure, some Controlling the path we're on absolutely is a smart, reasonable thing to do because I don't think we should just be sitting back and expecting God just to make everything fall in our laps. But when we are waiting specifically on God, whether it's in our own individual lives or collectively as a human race, as we wait for Christ to return, then I think we can find more growth. We can find more wholeness in the waiting than in the controlling, than in the pushing for something forwards that's not yet ready, as we wait in God's time, not in our own times. And trying to force something that isn't ready to happen yet often leads to more pain and anxiety and, and um, depression, like I was saying myself. Like, like in the example I gave, if I had spent that time, that agreed upon time between me and God, waiting and sitting with God and trusting in him. That could have been an amazing time of growth for me. But instead, in my desperation, I was trying to take control with my own hands. And that led me to a lot of anxiety with knockback after knockback after knockback with all the jobs that didn't happen. And so again, that question, how do we wait well on God? Scripture tells us to wait faithfully and you know, we get, have a bit of an eye roll when we hear that because that's so much easier said than done. But 
the whole idea of faithfulness, at least in this day and age, gives us these ideas of, of knowing, of believing, of, of trusting, even if we don't have all the answers or understand how it's going to come into place. But the origins of the word faith in original scripture actually wasn't so much about just knowing, it was more about doing. And so it's more about how we act, how we behave in these, peri in these periods of waiting, in this liminal space where something has finished but the new thing has not yet started. And so faith has a practical application to it in its original context in scripture. And so to, to explain this, let, let me, I want to just quickly approach this from two different angles, uh, from, one from a psychological point of view and one through scripture as well. And even though these things might seem like they are quite far apart, the more you look into it, the more you actually realise, actually, yes, they do overlap with each other quite a bit. So firstly, from the psychological point of view, studies have shown that there are eight factors that determine how well we wait at any given point in time. And by well, I mean how patient we are, how calm we are as we wait. And so the eight factors are, are we, how occupied am I during the wait? And so am I keeping myself busy, similar to what the Mark group was talking about? Am I keeping myself busy or am I just sitting there still and just waiting for something to happen? Have I put everything else on pause and I'm just waiting? We don't wait well when that is happening. Has anything started yet from my years of working in hotels? This is why when someone sits down in a restaurant, you give them a menu, a glass of water and some bread because it makes them feel like that the meal process has already started, even if there's going to be another 20 minute wait before the waiter can actually get to that table. And so the sense that something has started helps us wait better. How anxious am I as I wait? Do I know how long I'll be waiting for or is it an undetermined amount of time? Amount of time? Do I know the reason why I'm waiting? Does the wait feel fair? How valuable is the service I'm waiting for? And am I waiting by myself? or with others around me as well. And so this is what the studies have shown that help us wait. If we can tick a lot of these boxes, then we tend to wait better. Let me share the uh, description now. And this is from Jeremiah. And again, this passage is from when the Israelites were in slavery in Babylon. And this, I think, can give us a little sneak peek into how God would hope that we wait. And so this is from Jeremiah 29, 4-7, and it says, This is what the Lord God, sorry, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so this isn't God just saying to the Israelites, keep your bags packed, because at any day now, we're going back to Jerusalem. No, he's saying, hunker down for the long haul. This is going to be a long period of waiting. And so plant crops, reap those crops. Have sons and daughters. Have grandchildren as well. We are going to be here for generations. In other words, what God is saying is as we wait, we live our lives. We build. We build our homes. We build our families. We build our friendships and we build our communities around us as well. Everything doesn't stop because we are waiting on God. We continue to live our lives. It doesn't mean we're pushing 
God's hand to move faster than he wants it to, but it means we are living our lives as we wait for God's hand to move. And so by actively living as we wait, many of the psychological points I just shared are actually realised as well. And so for one, if we are living our lives while we are waiting on God, we are occupied because we are building our lives in our communities around us. We feel that there is a sense of something happening because we are keeping ourselves busy. Our anxiety is reduced because we are not just solely focused on having everything hinge on this thing that we are waiting for. And of course, we are waiting with our brothers and sisters, both inside our communities and outside our communities as well. But you also notice what it says in the last two passages as well. And this, this, one, this can be hard for us to hear as well. It says, seek peace and prosperity in the city which I have carried you into exile. So God had carried them into Babylon, the enemy. And it says, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That is hard for some of us to take. And I get that. But God is saying to us, don't create war. Don't rise up and try to tear down that empire. It doesn't say try to sabotage those that oppress us. Instead, it says we had to integrate with the society around us, even if they are not our people, just like the Israelites were commanded to integrate into Babylon as well. We still hold a point of difference, though. And I think that point of difference is, is love. We are to love each other. We are to love God. But we are also to love those around us, even if they are not on the same page as us. How often we can find ourselves in arguments and conflict with other people that don't share our same thoughts or beliefs or perspectives. But we are to find peace and love. And yes, we can still hold to our own truths and be that point of difference. But being that point of difference is always about building up. It's never about destruction and tearing down and hatred. It needs to be done with love and respect. It needs to be a positive force and a life-giving force. And one that doesn't seek to discriminate between us and them over there. Rather, it seeks to find the us in our communities around us as well. And so, and so this is, I think, the crux of being a Christian and waiting. We wait in two dualities. We wait in our constant stance, which is um, there is a path before us and this path is waiting where we are on God. But at the same time, we know that there is something coming in the future that we are also waiting for as well. There's a duality there. And so as Christians, we live both in the present, this current period of waiting, and also in the future as well. And that parallels with what Jesus and Paul say about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is both here and also coming as well. That's the nature of the kingdom of God, and that's also our nature as the citizens of the kingdom of God. This is the duality of our nature as Christians, to live in the communities where we are now and also be awaiting the future, whatever that might look like too. And so let me just finish this little talk about waiting with an Advent blessing. So in the season of Advent, may it be a reminder that what we wait for is worthy of our patience. May you wait well as you wait on God. May we build our lives as we wait patiently. May we find community as we wait. May we find friendship as we wait. May we find love as we wait and may we find prosperity as we wait. May we find comfort and peace in the knowledge that what we wait for isn't only in the future, but it's also here with us in spirit, right here, right now in God's spirit. May we all wait well.
Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.